Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Hey, everyone. Erica Aguilar here, editor for The Bay. Hey, the team is still recovering from our awesome Friday Night Live show. Thank you for coming out and making it what it was, a night to remember. We had so much fun sharing some of our memorable episodes with you and the stories. It's a topic that Erica, Devin, and I have a lot of discussion over. Like every time we put an episode together, it's like, what does this mean about living and being from the Bay Area or um, being here in this place that we call home? So if you weren't able to come, no worries, because we recorded the whole damn thing and we're going to bring it to you right here. But before we get to the show, I just want to say thank you so much for showing up and supporting us. Another way you can support the Bay and this podcast is by sharing it with a friend or on social media because word of mouth is one of the best ways people find a podcast. So do us a solid, recommend The Bay to your bestie, to your coworker, and or leave us a review. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Manny. Um, thank you all for coming out. And really, thanks to Manny and his organization for hosting us tonight and offering us this space. Um, I'm Vinnie Tong. I'm the managing editor of KQED News. Um, I think the thing to know is that before this, I was the editor of The Bay podcast. Um, so that makes it just extra special for me personally to see all of you out here tonight. Um, I can tell you a little bit about the origin story of The Bay, since I was there for that. Um, late 2017, Devin Kadiyama started prototyping. What would it sound like if we made a podcast that was about local news? And pretty quickly after that, he teamed up with me and Erica Aguilar right over here. Um, more prototypes came. Uh, we got great support from KQED and the newsroom, Holly Kernan and Ethan Lindsay, everybody there. Um, and you know, in March of last year, we officially launched. It was really, really an amazing team of people of color creating a podcast together, um, which was meaningful, very meaningful for all of us. Um, just, I think of the Bay's identities having three pillars, really. News, storytelling, and local. And the local piece, I think, is really important because it keeps us rooted here in the Bay. We like to think that when you listen to it, you really feel living here. And, you know, in terms of being created by a team of people of color, there are some things that we care about a lot, which were identity, community, and looking at structural inequity. And I hope that that's something that you hear in the stories that we tell. Um, it's been a little more than a year now, 
and nearly 200 episodes later, uh, here we are. So we're grateful that you've all come out tonight, and without further ado, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm Debbie from San Jose. My name is Patrick, and I'm calling from Berkeley. This is Kimberly Dean. We're leaving. We are moving. We sold our house. Expenses. Volume of traffic. Childcare. Food. Even gas. The general cost of living. All right, welcome to the Bay Live special. I'm your host, Evan Kadiyama. Thank you all for being here. This is, uh, this is actually really special. I honestly didn't expect this room to look like this, to be this packed, and to see so many uh, people who both we haven't met yet, but who are, psych who are psyched about the show. Um, and so this is, this is great. Uh, 195 episodes, and we're just a little bit over a year old. This, this is incredible. And thank you so much for listening to the Bay and subscribing uh, and, and really caring about the local content and the news. I think it's just fantastic. Um, tonight is a special night because uh, we're gonna be talking about some issues that are really important here in the Bay Area. Uh, when we talk about stories for the Bay, um, we talk about what the story is really about. There's a lot of ways you can look at a story and that's uh, what you're gonna take a peek at tonight. And so without further ado, the first uh, theme that we're going to be looking at is this question that we all really struggle with. If we don't struggle with it personally, we know friends or family who struggle with this question of, should I stay or should I go? Here to talk about that is KQED The Bay editor, Erica Aguilar. What's up? Isn't this red? This feels very different than this our. This feels um, very different. In fact, uh, we're going to throw up a picture right now of <laughs> our office space. This is edit room Z, where we do all the magic. You like our white walls. White walls, except for the recordings. Uh, we do all the work in this office, so I felt like we should uh, have a little picture to make it a little it's bit more comfortable. It's got a little bit of you in there. What do you mean a little bit of There's me in there? There's that basketball court. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I take shots. When things get stressful, I take some shots. Or when we're like cruising on a story and I feel good about it. Yeah. When, yeah. when you're feeling like we're, um, <laughs> we're pretty much there and you don't, you'll leave it to us, you're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so uh, this is kind of how our stories start. We... We talk about uh, what, the, what we're reading, what we're listening to, what we're watching, the conversations that we're having uh, with our friends, with our family, and we bring it to the table. We bring it to this room, and, and we basically talk it out. And at the core of what we're talking about is how does this story make you feel mm -hmm. as a person Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we, we really kind of get into the whole news element of it. So I thought, I thought I would start by asking, actually asking you a question. Okay. Uh, because what we're talking about here is should I stay, should I go? And I know you, you were born in Texas, you grew up Ooh, in Texas. Yeah. Uh, and you spent some time in LA, then you came here I a couple of years on. ago. <laughs> Sorry. So when you moved here, what was it like when you, what did you notice when you moved here? To California? Yeah, and to um, the Bay Area. Well, I, I lived in, uh, for five years in California working for public radio there, covering, a, you know, criminal justice, um, yeah, and the Los Angeles area. So, um, well, the first shock was like, damn, it's so expensive here. Um, you know, it's the first thing that we all are all yeah, feeling. Yeah, it was a big sticker shock, you know? Like, I remember I would, my mom taught me how to cut coupons, mm -hmm. so I kept a coupon book with me. Um, 
and I would go every other weekend, my husband and I would go and we'd do grocery shopping at the dollar store first for the things like your toothpaste, um, the Dove bar soap, because it was a lot cheaper there. And then you'd go to Trader Joe's, because that was cheaper than Ralph's or over here, which is the equivalent of Safeway. Uh, so that was just a, like just a weird thing. The other thing was like, not every house has like a grass backyard or a grass front yard. <laughs> you talk about that a lot, by the way. <laughs> because I got to get my barbecue in. Um, <laughs> but and then and then so I finally got it down in Los Angeles, and I was feeling financially like comfortable again. Um, and then KQED called, <laughs> yeah, and they're like, "You want to come to the Bay?" I was like, "No, it is too expensive and it's too cold." Um, <laughs> You also complain about the cold a lot. It's so cold. Um, but eventually I came, and again, sticker shock all over again. And I didn't think it was going to be that bad because I was like, I got it in Los Angeles. I know how to make this work. I can't find a dollar store in, Los in San Francisco except for the Excelsior. Can we get that one every now and then? Um, yeah. So it took a little while. Yeah. It took a little while to, to figure it out. And so yeah. for me, the, ex the expense was. You know, it was hard. Right, right. And so this is kind of actually how we do a lot of our stories. We pick up these elements that are super yeah. specific to something that you might breeze through when you're just reading a headline. And we pull out these elements that are very personal, but that we connect to on such a personal level. Mm -hmm. uh, and one story that I want to talk about is, is the headlines that we always hear about what percentage of people from the Bay Area want to leave the Bay Area. I'm sure you've seen some of these headlines. Um, but it's something that I continually see, and from somebody who's a little bit stressed and tired of like having to feel this pressure in the Bay Area, I need some way to, to think about it. Mm -hmm. And it's these little things that we pull out in the story and, and people, the connections that we have with people, that I think we can get to the core root of what a story actually is all about. You know, we talk a lot about like how a story makes you feel. Remember when we first started the podcast, we'd be like, um, we want to make people feel the news. We're big on feelings. Right? Yeah. People would be no, like, no, what do you mean feel the news? But I, I guess what I mean by that is um, when you read these headlines, like, what is that gut feeling? You're like, oh, man. Like, what does it mean to leave home? Mm -hmm. Right? And I feel like these headlines speak to the heart of what the the issue is that we're totally grasping in the Bay Area right now with the affordability and cost of living is um, – should I stay? Should I go? What am I going to be leaving behind? Um, am I going to lose home? And how do we define home? Yeah. Um, what does it mean to be home? And I mean, so we did an episode with Tanya Mosley, KQED Silicon Valley yeah. Bureau Chief. And, uh, and she did something that was very public radio, something that I think we're particularly good at, is she took one of these studies, these polls, these headlines that we were seeing, and she actually said, let's ask people this question. Like, why are they leaving? Where are they going to? She took the, the, the you know, this idea of like, okay, so 53% of people or 40% 40 of people want to leave the Bay Area or California, and she asked, um, where are you going? Like, what is your next option and why? Pretty basic, simple things. Um, she asked about, I think, she got responses from like 200 people. Yeah. And, and given it's a survey, right? It's a survey of our listeners at KQED. So we just wanted to see where people decided to go or where were they thinking? What was pushing them? What were the decisions they were making? And 187 people responded that the expense was the big reason why they were doing it. Um, and this one woman who called back, her name was Kimberly Dean, and she summed up her family situation like this. 
Good morning, KQED. This is Kimberly Dean, and um, my family and I, my husband and my two daughters, decided to leave the Bay Area last month. We sold our house and moved to to New Mexico. Um, we decided on New Mexico because schools are excellent. I have a lot of family here. It's so beautiful here, and um, it's the only other place I could think of living besides California. Since I'm a native Californian, it was a hard decision to make. I really liked listening from Kimberly's call-in. Um, this is really fun. By the way, like as Bay listeners, if you ever feel something in an episode, please, please just call, call us in. and leave us a message because we love making episodes we'll of, give you the phone of, of, of what you guys feel and, and, and you know what, what your response is. So Kimberly Dean um, called in, and what I really thought was interesting was this decision about um, I guess a lot what a lot of people are dealing, dealing with, which is, is California home to them and will if they leave like will it still be considered quote unquote home for them and I don't know as a as a native Texan please don't judge <laughs> as a native Texan like Texas is still home for me you know and I bring Texas everywhere I go with me yeah, sorry I know <laughs> Um, cause it's still home for me. And I think you and I are having this conversation the other day, uh, in the Bay room and we were like, man, like 20 years from now, am I going to still think I'm Texas is home? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. You know? And I feel like that's what she was saying. So this is a really complicated and like a tough decision for, um, Kimberly Dean. But in the end, considering all of the financial issues, commuting, it just had to be made. And it had to be made now before um, we got to retirement age. At that point, we probably would have been forced to make a decision about moving. This way, we had the option of deciding where we wanted to go. So for Kimberly Dean, it was New Mexico. And I know in the survey, you or Tanya also asked about where people were moving to. So right. where, where were people big, moving to? It was a big part of it. What, was, what were people saying? Um, well, this is a big reason why I was drawn to the story and why I hosted this episode on the podcast, which was they were going to Texas. Like a lot of people from California were going to Texas. I told you don't judge. How did you feel? <laughs> um, in a way, like, well, I always say that I'm a salmon. Like, I'm swimming upstream while everybody's going to Texas. Like, I'm going to California, like, hopping my way up to the most expensive city in the country. But um, it made me feel also afraid. Uh, I covered homelessness in Orange County and Southern California for a long time. And, uh, you know, the stories of being pushed out and gentrification covering, like, Santa Ana and Anaheim and Orange County. Like, hearing all the Latinos talk, and I'm like, damn, that's my, that's my sister yeah. and that's my dad. Because the people in this survey said they were moving to San Antonio. They were moving to Austin. Um, partly because those are, like, you know, turning blue democratic cities in Texas. And so people are like, yeah, it was kind of warm. I can, like, have a front lawn, a backyard. <laughs> um, they were also moving to places like Idaho, mm -hmm. Wyoming, mm -hmm. um, Washington, yeah. Reno, Las Vegas, Oregon. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it made me wonder what is going to happen to those cities when um, Bay Area residents or even California residents move over there. I have one final question for you before you uh, leave, uh, okay. and that is, are you... 
do you think you're going to be staying in the Bay Area? All right. Um, it's so funny because in the episode, if y'all heard this episode, uh, I did that to Tanya. <laughs> And Tony on the episode yeah. was like, come on, <laughs> are you really doing this? Yeah. <laughs> are you doing this for the radio? I was like, how much you want to say? Um, wait, you asked me what? <laughs> you know it. Are, do you think you're going to be staying in the Bay Area? Do you think you're going you're gonna to stick it out? <laughs> um, I mean, I love Los Angeles. Oof. Mm, I know. Sorry. I, oh, now you can judge. <laughs> all right. Eric Aguilar, editor of the Bay. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Woo. Um, so we, we just talked about, should I stay? Should I go? Um, for, for a lot of people, that's, that's not the right question. For a lot of people, the question should be, can I stay? And, um, and you see that a lot in the city of, of Oakland, people who are being pushed out and displaced to other places. Uh, you also see people who are fighting to stay in Oakland. And here to talk about that next is KQED's race and equity reporter, Sandia Dirks. Hey, Sandia. Hey, Devin. Um, so last year, we saw a handful of videos of people of color uh, getting the cops called on them by white people. Right. And so you might remember some of them. Yeah, just a number of The Philadelphia, Philadelphia Starbucks. Right. Um, there was also one in Oakland, you might remember. Uh, but there were, there were not just videos, but the conversation about people of color and their bodies being policed in public spaces by white people was everywhere. And it wasn't that it was happening more than usual. This has always been happening, right? The thing was, was that we were actually paying attention to it and the media was paying attention to it. So there was the grad student at Yale who was sleeping on the couch who had the police calls on her. There were the two indigenous youth who were touring a college and a white woman got uncomfortable because they were there. So all of these things happened, and of course, you, you even had a, a, one in San Francisco, mm -hmm. um, a, young, a young girl selling water got the police called on her, and then you had a very, very famous one in Oakland. Uh, you might remember this. Uh, there was a barbecue at Lake Merritt, and things happened. We're going to play a clip of that right now. Uh, it's illegal to have a charcoal grill in the park here. No, it's not actually. I just yeah, looked at the it map. Is. It says this is a designated barbecue area. No, it, if you, it, not for a charcoal grill. No charcoal grills are allowed. Do you want to see it? Yeah, I got to try You must not have looked up. What kind of later. grill are you not allowed? And why are you so bent out of shape over them being Because it, it causes extra money from our city to uh -huh. do things when children get injured because of an improperly disposed pool. So are you saying that they're going to hurt children out here? or I mean, like, what? what is the, with this... There's laws yeah, about this rest. park, and I know the laws about them. this park. And charcoal grills are not allowed here. <laughs> so they should go buy a new grill because I, I just looked they at it and it doesn't be doing say anything. Charcoal grills in here. I don't care. What are you sure? Are you do. sure it's not because you don't want black people being out here? You um, you've talked and reported about this idea of, of public space being contested. And I know this isn't the first time there's been ten tensions around Lake Merritt. And I want you to explain why is that? What, what about Lake Merritt? 
in some ways, it's because of space. It's a space in Oakland where many different kinds of Oakland converge, right? So Oakland has, for a long time, I mean, we talk about it now as a city that is resegregating uh, between. Oakland and then what's happening in sort of suburban places, but really it, it's a place that has always been very segregated, right? You had you had the flatlands and then you had the hills. You had West Oakland and you had East Oakland. And one of the amazing things about Lake Merritt was it was the central space that somehow in some ways had the capability, the ability, the potential to transcend some of that. Um, it, it's this, there's this term, um, it's a sort of a term sociologists use called the, the cosmopolitan canopy. And it's this idea that shared public space is something that makes us better, makes our communities better. And in some ways, Lake Merritt, it can almost represent this kind of cosmopolitan canopy where you can have kids from West Oakland, kids from East Oakland who couldn't go into each other's neighborhoods but come to grill together. Well, I mean, Oakland's changed a lot. We've seen that just in the last few years. And uh, one person you spoke to about this was David E. Cook, who is a historian and journalist in Oakland, also resident of Lake Merritt. Many people had been moved out of Oakland. Um, so people still had family here, and this was like a good way to kind of like, I'm going to go see my mom. She still lives here. I live in Antioch, but since, you know, everybody's at the lake, I can actually connect with the other folks. For a lot of people, Lake Merritt is the symbol of, of home, the stuff that we were talking about before. It absolutely is. So, you know, we were talking about people about this sort of should I stay or should I go and how that's such a privileged question yeah. because for so many people, it isn't a question. It's a where do I go to because damn it, I can't stay here anymore. Um, and so for those people who are forced out to places like Antioch, Stockton, Vallejo, Sacramento, Lake Merritt is a place that they can come back on the weekends and see the family that has been scattered to the winds because you can't afford private space in Oakland anymore, but you can still come back to public space. And I want to talk a little bit about the history of Lake Merritt as this contested space. There have been many points throughout time where it has... It has been sort of in contest about who owns it, who can be there, who can spend time there. If you go back to the Festival of the Lake, which happened, I don't know if any, who here knows about the Festival of the Lake? Right, so the Festival of the Lake was awesome. Look it up, it was amazing. It was kind of at a time when Black Oakland was at its height. Um, it was one of the preeminent sort of African-American festivals in the country. Um, up, and up there was Freaknik in Atlanta and a few other places like Taste of Chicago. People would come here, they would be out. Um, and they would, you know, grill, barbecue, be, own the space, take up the space. But also it was a very contested space because people wanted to control who was there, when they could be there, how they could be there. And so one of the things Davey D will talk about, he was around during Festival of the Lake, was, was him basically saying they could have socially engineered it so these young black kids would have felt able and welcome to be in the space. Instead, they created something which could have put people in these situations where fights would happen, police would come out. Um, and this led to this whole kind of raft of laws around who could be in Oakland. For example, the cruising laws that said if you drove more than one time around Lake Merritt, it was illegal because you were cruising. Who was that targeted at, right? So this is all about how we police public space in all of these very, very different ways. Even back in 20, I think it was 2014, I might be getting this wrong, um, you had you know, a group of drummers. The, there was the Blood Red Moon, and they were drumming to celebrate this. And someone who lived around the lake, someone who had more recently moved in, called the police on them. Th this space becomes even more contested, even more precious, even more about meaning and, and kind of home when 
it feels like the private space, your home, the places you can live, the neighborhoods, the institutions you used to go to are disappearing. And so I think Lake Merritt has become the symbol of what Oakland is. And you mentioned that, that word, a uh, cosmopolitan canopy, with this idea, this idyllic idea, people of different kinds uh, spending time in a public space together. It's a really nice idea. Um, it's something also that you talked to uh, with Nikki Jones, the UC Berkeley professor of African American Studies about. There's something about policy and planning that can, it can shape a, a cosmopolitan canopy, but it's also about how people use the space and how people interact with one another in that space. Uh, and, and the agreement that people have in this space that it doesn't belong to one group, right? it belongs to all of us. I find it really interesting that she says the agreement that people have. What do you, to explain what you think the agreement is. Well, I think that there's a way in which we can share space in a very different way than the way we are learning to share space in the Bay Area, right? There's an idea of ownership over even public space. Um, and I think the agreement is, it is a social contract that we have with each other, right? Where we decide that we can share space with people who look different than us, with people who act different than us, with people who are from different socioeconomic uh, backgrounds as us. And that's a very, very, at threat concept in the Bay Area right now, where when you get more polarization, right, when, when it's economic, when it's racial, when it's all of these things, this idea that you should be able to share space with difference becomes more and more fraught. And you do get a sort of what, what might have been called a sort of a suburban mentality where there was a push towards assimilation in the 1950s, that that is then creeping into cities. But it isn't a city if it's an assimilated space, because what makes cities so profound is their diversity, their complexity, and their communal space for difference. I mean, imagine New York looking all alike. Okay, don't imagine it, just go to Brooklyn. But like, <laughs> you know, I, I, it, there is a certain tragedy in the loss of what space can mean when we agree to allow it to be different. Um, can you tell us what Oakland's response was to the video after it came out, after people shared it on social media? So Oakland. <laughs> so, okay, I love Oakland very, 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 very much. Um, it's a miracle that you all got me out to San Francisco. Um, so <laughs> um, but uh, Oakland did the most Oakland thing ever, right? They were like, all right, no, you can't call like people on us. We are going to go out and we are going to um, we're going to go to the lake and we're going to do what we've always done at the lake. We're going to grill. We're going to barbecue. We're going to dance. What's amazing is that there is going to be another big barbecuing while black event at the lake this year. It's probably going to be a thing forever, um, even even when there are no black people left in Oakland. Um, because you know, people understand that holding on to that space is vitally important for the history and soul of the town. You know, people came out, they barbecued, they also came out and did the electric slide. All right. <laughs> KQD race and equity reporter Sonia Dirks, thank you so much. So uh, we've talked a little bit about the personal reasons um, and some of the cultural reasons why people may choose to stay or leave, um, but there are some real environmental reasons that some people just can't stay in the Bay Area or don't want to stay in the Bay Area. We've done several episodes on the fires in Northern California, and all of these fires have impacted our lives across the region in some way. We were surrounded by fire. 
it was on fire. You're sitting in the middle of a fire. We, we knew at some point Paradise was going to be hit head-on by a fire. Please welcome to the stage KQED justice, criminal justice reporter Suki Lewis. If you don't know Suki yet, please follow her work. Uh, she's an amazing reporter. Um, and actually, I don't know how many people here know this, but you're from Lake County, and you have reported a lot on the fires up there. Yeah, and that's how I actually got into being reporting on fires at all, was basically just because I was from somewhere that burns a lot. And growing up there as a kid, there were always fires. It was like every summer there'd be a tuft of smoke in the distance. You would kind of be aware of the presence of fire in the landscape because it's a very, very natural part of the California landscape. Mm -hmm. But then something started to really change in the last few years. And so it's burned... In 2015, where the really devastating fire that year was the Valley Fire, but there was also that same year the Rocky Fire and the Jerusalem Fire. And that just burned massive acreage, massive homes up here. And then it was year after year after year kind of getting hit by fire after fire after fire. And, you know, we're starting to see that in many other places, at, you know, with the Tubbs Fire and then with the fire in Paradise. Right. And um, it's really changing, I think, the the psychology and the landscape and um, yeah. Well, I actually want to play about a minute of one of Suki's uh, stories that we did on the Bay. Um, Suki, this is the Pawnee fire in Lake County last summer. This was the fourth year in a row that this, that Lake County had been hit by fires and you went to the Moose Lodge, which was acting as an evacuation center. I'm a reporter with KQED Public Radio. Oh, cool. Just reporting on the evacuation and how people are doing. Mm. Are you evacuated? Yes. Where are you? Where's your home? Spring Valley. It's gone. It's gone? It's gone. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. What's your name? Charles Valdez. And did you, were you there? Did you see it burn down? No, we left when flames were pretty close coming over the hill at us. And we grabbed our bird and a few belongings we could and got out. Been here at the Moose Lodge, what, this is our third day. Wow. And have you had to evacuate from any of the other fires that have happened around yeah, here? We were up in the avenues here a few years back and ended up homeless for about a year and a half. Wow. And what kind of bird do you have? Blue and gold macaw. Could I check out the bird? Sure. Come here, buddy. His name is Brady. He's about 11 years old. We've had him about a year. What does it feel like? Are you okay? Uh, yeah, I'm just tired. I mean, I understand they're going to change the name of Lake County to Flame County. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's hard, but, you know, life goes on. I've been through a lot in my life. And Do you ever think about leaving Lake County? No. No, this is home. So last year, we just witnessed California's most destructive fire. Um, 88 people died um, up in View County. There are thousands of homes that were lost. And you've actually covered a lot of the recovery phase. Um, and I'm curious, because new places all around in Northern California are kind of going through recovery at different phases, what is that uh, phase like? How long does it last? And, and what are what's happening? Um, it looks really different kind of depending on, on where it's happening and the resources where it's happening. I think Lake County uh, has taken a long time. I was actually talking to friends just this last spring, and they were saying, oh, it's finally happening. And that's from the Valley Fire that happened 14, 
or four years ago, um, and just the, the, the pace at which people are able to rebuild is very dependent on the resources that that community has. And some of these places that are getting hit, like Butte County, you know, up in Shasta County with the car fire, uh, tend to be, you know, already suffering economically and they just don't have the resources to rebuild very quickly. And then there's this other question that kind of comes with it, which is, should we rebuild here? Right. Because this is an area that's really prone to fire. And, you know, what we're starting to see is, is well, I think people are just starting to really wrestle with this. And it's really interesting, the conversations, I think, that are happening in paradise right now about where this, this question that has been kind of creeping up on us as these more and more terrible fires keep happening is really kind of front and center and really confronting, you know, planners, you know, who, you know, who should bear the costs when these things happen, you know, developers and insurance companies and all of these questions are kind of coming to the fore. And then there is this feeling that people have of their emotional place and their home yeah. and how does that you know come kind of face to face with these really practical and environmental matters and how do we how do we deal with these things and rebuild in a way that is safe and responsible if rebuilding kind of depends on the resources of a particular community what about what can we expect from the fires themselves that are getting bigger and more destructive in future years, I I don't I don't think that trend is going to change. Like I think it could it could dip down for a few years, mm. you know, as as things, uh, you know, just based on kind of weather temperatures and stuff like that. But as we're seeing with global climate change, these things are being driven by these really large large factors, and so it is. Um, you know, humans are building in the wild urban interface, right. which is, you know, in the wildlands. There's more of us living there, so that makes the fires more destructive. The climate is warming, and so we have just much more. We have had California's drought, which is another effect of that. And then we have these higher temperatures. And for firefighters, it's really interesting talking to them because. When we talk about higher temperatures, you know, we're not, we're like, oh, it didn't, you know, it didn't seem like this crazy hottest summer ever. Mm -hmm. Like there's a few high temperatures, but for them, it's the overnight temperatures that are really, really key because that's when, if a fire is burning, you can fight it at night historically because the temperature drops down and that's when you can begin to kind of wrap your arms around it and get a sense of, you know, getting control of the fire. And what we saw in these past few years is that the overnight temperatures were as hot as regular daytime temperatures. And so the fire at night would be blazing as hot and as crazy as it would normally during the day. And so these kind of factors that I don't think all of us generally think about right, when we right. think about warming, yeah they really, really play this huge role in how destructive these fires are and how I think they will also be in the future. You mentioned the, uh, the wildland urban interface. Um, and like for a city like San Francisco, that's not in that space, that geographical space. We're still seeing the effects of these fires with the poor air quality closing down numerous schools last year. Um, what are some other ways that you think the whole Bay Area is being affected by these fires? 
Well, I, I mean, I think it's in innumerable ways. Housing, obviously. Yeah. There are people being displaced and that are coming here. Like, good luck finding housing here. But um, <laughs> it's just it, this squeeze is happening everywhere. And then there's issues of insurance that are going to be affecting the entire state, how these, how these wildfires are paid for. That's everybody's tax money. Right. And also, you know, PG&E. How is our electrical grid going to be handled and paid for bankruptcy, you know, all yeah. of these kind of really big picture issues. But I think also there are these lessons that we're learning from it and these solutions that also are communal lessons that we all need to learn. And I think that's one thing that's been really interesting about reporting on wildfire is that it it defines your community in a way that you didn't know before. You see people kind of being like, and now I need to know who my neighbor is. Mm -hmm. Like, that is the person who's going to wake me up yeah. in the middle of the night when the flames are coming. And also to the systems, uh, the alert systems, how we're um, able to alert one another, how we're able to work as a community when an earthquake strikes or when something else that's not necessarily a wildfire hits. Are we maintaining this communal network that is actually necessary for our survival mm -hmm. and that we kind of in the city pretend that we don't always right, absolutely right. rely on. Suki, thank you so much. Thank you, Devin. KQED criminal justice reporter, Suki Lewis. <laughs> so we've been talking about some reasons that people, um, people are leaving the Bay Area, um, and we all know that the one thing we really need to do to keep people here is find places for them to live, to build housing, to find opportunities to keep people in the places that they are. Um, and there's not many uh, groups that are trying to do that right now, but there is one in the Bay Area that is trying to come up with something that you hear about all the time that's really needed, which is a regional housing solution. And here to talk about that is KQD's government and politics reporter, Guy Maserati. What's up, guy? How's it going? You know, I should just say for all the Bay fans out here, one thing they left out of the Bay origin story <laughs> was, was the humble beginnings of the Bay. You know, they showed the, the picture of where the Bay is made now every day. I don't know where he's going with this. Let, let me tell you, the first, I want to say, five or six months, they had these guys working in a supply closet. <laughs> it was like, I mean, they were making the, one of the best podcasts on earth with very little oh. fresh air. <laughs> We have like we have a, one of those like a smelly human, things human now. Human Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's true. Um, anyway, I just had to share that. Sorry. We're actually going to do something a little bit a little bit different with Guy, and we're going to need your help to do it. We're going to be uh, we're going to be taking a little quiz, and we're going to need your help. Uh, there's on the back of the program. There's a QR code. We're also going to throw it up on the screen right here. You can point, open up your cameras on your phone, and point it at that code, and it will automatically join you into the live quiz, the live poll that we're going to be taking along this way, and we're going to show you the results as they come in. Um, so as you do that, and just get your, uh, get your polls armed, I'm just going to ask... What's the warrior score? Yeah, well, Attic, yeah, do we have a warrior score out here? No. Just... <laughs> All right, up 18. All right, there you go. Um, quick question for Guy while you're doing that. Uh, since you cover uh, housing and politics at the state capitol, uh, what is what is the most frustrating or what's the hardest thing about that? Well, for a while, I think I would say Twitter uh, because housing, <laughs> the policy and the politics, it's so 
complicated yeah. uh, that I think it doesn't really fit well in a you know 140 character or whatever we have now. Right, right. Um, but I've actually kind of changed my my view on that. There's so much. It's such an uh, issue that's so. Uh, closely followed in the Bay Area, yeah, and right. so many people have such interesting ideas. There's a lot of great discussion, right. and with housing politics, it's not typically partisan. It's not the Democrat-Republican split you usually mm -hmm. see. So I found it Twitter interesting. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, we got our first question out here. Um, there is one group, and let's actually see what that first question is going to be. Uh, there's one group in the Bay Area that focuses on housing called CASA, C-A-S-A. -S -S this is an acronym. Uh, we want to know what CASA stands for. Uh, and Guy, actually, while they're filling this out, can you just tell us what CASA does? I don't want to, you do not give away anything. No, I have just what does CASA do? So, CASA is basically this group brought together people kind of on all sides of housing policy in the Bay Area. So, developers, tenant groups, business, labor, all trying to solve this question how do we address the Bay Area's housing crisis over the next 15 years? And so they came up with 10 or so recommendations, kind of put them forward to the state legislature uh, and hoped for their passage. All right. All right. Let's see how you did on this one. Can we see the answers? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the answer was committee to house the Bay Area. Now, so this isn't even... Trick that question. Even, it was kind of a trick question. We're sorry about this. Uh, why is it a trick question, guy? So it's not, an, it's not a real acronym. But that is the yeah. acronym of the group. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so it stands for Committee to House the Bay Area. It's a group you should probably get to know if they are coming up with these regional housing solutions, which apparently is really hard, which we'll get into in just a second. Um, all right, so this group, this CASA group, um, has basically they look at three Ps of the housing problem. So let's check out what, or the, actually the next question is going to be, what are these so-called three Ps that they focus on? Uh, let's take a look at what we got here. Is it Produce, Preserve, Protect? Please place police, potential promotion, persistence. Um, Prior preparation prevents poor performance. Oh my God. Sky, guy has a lot of skills, by the way. He's demonstrated some of them. He's a stand up comedian. Uh, actually, let's just go straight to the, the answer. Uh, let's see what we got here uh, for this one. It is produce, preserve, protect. Okay, so Guy, can you just tell us what these three. Uh, what these three really are. Sure. So the produce is basically get more housing built. So both getting funding for more housing okay. uh, and also change laws to make it easier to build housing. The preservation is really keeping housing that is affordable, keeping it affordable. So think about rent caps, rent control. Uh, and then the protection is really, you know, for people facing the housing crisis right now, people at risk of displacement. Um, and the ideas that CASA came up with around that were basically emergency assistance, whether that's cash assistance or legal assistance uh, to tenants who are facing eviction. Okay. Now, so cost is made up of like small cities, big cities, developers, advocates, housing advocates. Um, what, what is one of the biggest challenges for a group like that that's representing so many different uh, kind of cities just in general? Right. So there's the built-in challenges, which is that these are people on all different sides of the housing debate. Um, in addition to that, they're trying to solve this thing regionally, and there really there is no regional government that exists really around housing. You have the state government that's 
historically played the role of providing funding for housing. Then you have local governments who have historically decided where housing goes, what kind of housing can be built. So there is what they're trying to propose is maybe there should be a government in the middle, a regional housing government that can tax you uh, and then you know spend money to address this housing crisis. So they don't have any real like legal teeth yet, right? Right, and that's another thing. So they're putting forward these ideas to the state legislature, but there's no promise that all these ideas are tied together. These are all kind of bills now that are yeah. on their own. Is it also hard like that smaller suburban cities and these bigger cities are in the room trying to be like, who's who's gonna solve this thing? Right, and that's and we've seen that kind of play out even in the state capitol where you yeah. have like I said, it's not really a partisan breakdown, but more you often see the breakdown between uh, representatives of the suburbs versus representatives Man. of the urban areas who want to get at this in different ways. All right, let's take a look at the next question that we got for you. Uh, how many homes per year does the state estimate is needed to keep up with projected population and household growth? This is for the state. How many homes per year does the state estimate is needed to keep up with projected population and household growth? We're going to give you uh, just a quick second to answer this one, and then we'll uh, we'll see the results in just a second. Uh, looks like uh, nobody wants to go with eighty thousand, huh? You, even if you don't, nobody know. nobody wants to go with that. All right. <laughs> there you go. Who's <laughs> got their finger on the phone? I feel All like right. this always works. It's always <laughs> the one in the middle. Let's see what it is. <laughs> All right. One hundred eighty thousand. Do you think it's always the one in the middle? Yeah, huh? you just you're not sure. <laughs> um, all right, we got one. Actually, I want to ask you this. Uh, so, what has Casa accomplished so far? Basically, they've produced these ideas. They've given them to the state legislature. And actually, the the biggest ideas in there, both bills to to increase density uh, of housing in the state and also to put a rent cap on rent increases, are both still alive in the state capitol. So that's the good news. There have been a lot of changes yeah. to those bills, but they're still. We don't need to get into the changes, but I do want to ask you this. Yeah. Both those bills, I think, had hearings this week, right? That's right. Did they, Long how did they hearings. Do? So they both passed uh, their hearings. They're right. both changes made, and but they live on. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see how they do. What are the bills? Do you know the, the numbers by heart? Sure. So Senate Bill 50 is this idea of the bill to increase density, uh, and then AB Assembly Bill 1482 is about rent statewide rent caps. Okay, cool. All right, one final question for you. Uh, Let's see, okay, which major Bay Area city out of these four is furthest behind in meeting housing goals? Hmm, who are we gonna shame here? Uh, <laughs> which major Bay Area city is furthest behind in meeting housing goals? And actually, Guy, what is a regional housing goal? <laughs> So this Let's is define a this for you. super complicated, convoluted process. Basically, the state sets goals on how much housing regions need to produce to keep up with population growth, and the regions decide how much each city is responsible for, and there you get your goals. All right. Uh, let's see what we got here with this question of which major Bay Area cities are furthest behind in meeting their regional housing goals. It is San Jose. Do you know why that's the case? Wow. Can I? Well, I think not to... I don't want to bag on San no, Jose no. because... So many cities, the vast majority of cities in California are not meeting their goals either, right. and, and largely it's by not building enough affordable housing. Yeah. But I will say, in, in San Jose's case, building affordable housing often comes down to you need capital, you need money, whether that's coming from the state government or right. the local government. 
that the sources of that have really dwindled over the past few years, and we know San Jose went broke uh, a few years ago, so they've kind of been uh, behind other cities in terms of producing local money uh, for affordable housing. It's really easy. Uh, it's really interesting to look at like your own city's housing goals and what they're. <laughs> Is it? What, well, kind of because they're so low, and you're just yeah, so yeah, surprised. Yeah. Um, so if you do have a chance, uh, find find out where you can uh, see your city's housing goals, um, and then. Uh, have fun with that one. <laughs> the Guy Maserati, thank you so much. Thank you. Politics and Government Reporter. All right. I want to bring up a very special guest for this next segment. It's actually a new addition to the Bay team. After Vinny left, we got an excellent replacement with Erica Cruz Guevara. What's going on? What's up, man? Um, so you are actually from the Bay Area, too? That is right, uh, yeah. Fairfield? I uh, was born in Vallejo, and I grew cool. up in Fairfield. Okay. And, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about changes here on this show. And um, I just came from Portland. I lived there for about two years, been away. And since coming back, I mean, you just notice so many changes yeah. in just two years, especially in the suburbs of the Bay Area that mm -hmm. are affected by what's happening in larger cities like San Francisco and Oakland. And you just see sort of more and more how this issue of housing is just sort of pushing right. into these corners of the Bay in a way they haven't before. You did it, the interesting reverse, uh, the reverse ride back from Portland to San Francisco <laughs> Bay Area. Um, so you've actually, we've been talking all night about like this question of should I, can I stay or should I go? Can I, can I stay? Um, but we didn't want to end on that note. We wanted to hear from you about um, what makes you stay in the Bay Area. And you've been interviewing some folks before the show to ask them this question. What generally would you hear? Yeah, so I thought that it would be actually funner if we just heard them ourselves, so um, we're going to play <laughs> something for you guys. So my name is Gardenia Zunigaharo. I live in San Francisco in Bernal Heights. Uh, my name is Michael. I live in Oakland, California. Uh, my name is David Sepulveda. Uh, I live in San Francisco right here in the Mission for about three years. My name is Greg Castleman and I live here in the Mission in San Francisco. I've been in San Francisco for five years and I actually refuse to move out of San Francisco. I'm a city girl. Unless I like aim a really great job somewhere else, but I'm not applying nowhere else but in San Francisco. So it's, it's gonna be like one in a million for me to really have to leave. What's keeping me around, honestly, is my family and um, you know, this is what I know and I, and I love it here. I don't take that for granted. The thing that would push me out the most, honestly, would be watching all my friends leave. Well, luckily I have, um, you know, bonds here um, that uh, keep me here for more reasons. Uh, I think if you start approaching perhaps um, insecurity or, or lack of safety in the area where you live, that can make a difference, right? I came up to San Francisco to be part of the cultural scene, to be part of the arts. That's what I'm involved in. Housing prices are top of mind for me. Um, on top of housing prices, just the incremental difference in price on food. So if you're going to pay to be here, you want to be engaging with it, but if you don't feel like you can afford to engage with it, that's kind of the cycle that feels like it's a rut. And that is wearing on me, to be honest with you. 
In terms of like the things that keep people staying, I mean, I heard over and over again, it's the Bay Area is so unique. This is such an amazing and vibrant place with culture. And that's the thing that keep that keeps people around. And ironically, it's also the thing that's threatened by this issue of housing. So you can hear that and all more and a lot more um, on our next episode of The Bay. That'll so be Monday, right? On Monday. So yeah. we're going to put that on uh, on Monday's show. So actually, if you already have your phones out, this is a perfect time to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. <laughs> and while you're there, leave us a rating or a comment. Um, but that's 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 the show. And thank you so much for uh, for coming out. Uh, I have a few people really quickly just want to thank want to thank the reporters who came out on stage and all the KQED reporters who actually make the show what it is. We can't do that without their reporting. Um, so so thank, thanks to Sandia, thanks to Guy, thanks to Suki, thanks to Erica, uh, thanks to Manny for letting us use his house, uh, to all the other um, people who supported us as we, as we did this live show. And, uh, and we're hoping to do a lot more of these, and they're going to be looking a little bit different. One of them might just be us at a bar hanging out. Um, that's my, that might be what we do later tonight. I don't know. Uh, but uh, look out for future events that we're having, and uh, let us know what you think about the show. Either give us a call, email, or come up to us after the the show. Thank you so much. Thank you again so much for joining us uh, for this live event. It was so much fun. We had fun putting it on. We hope you had fun coming. We want to do more of this, so be on the lookout for future shows. A good place to find new information about the podcast, new episodes, behind-the-scenes stuff, is to follow us on Twitter. We are at the Bay KQED. If you like The Bay, support this podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. And remember, The Bay is a production of KQED listener-supported public radio in San Francisco. So when you support KQED, you're also supporting this podcast. I'm Erica Aguilar. The Bay will be back with more local news and storytelling on Wednesday. So see you then. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.